0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor AJ Espinosa. We're reading through the entire Bible together out loud, chapter by chapter, and right now, book by book. And this is a really cool book to be taking a look at, Habakkuk. As far as I'm aware, this is something I was checking out. Um, I don't think we've actually had, at least one that's available online anyway, an episode on any KFUO program that was specifically on a chapter of Habakkuk. Um, I mean, that's probably true of like, most studies (laughs) what's going on with Habakkuk you know I mean that name that you can never remember is it 1b is it 2b's 1k 2k you know um you know it's a little profit but again as we've seen uh, a lot of big meaning and it's actually rather mysterious I think um you got a lot of people who disagree on what he's even talking about who he's talking about uh so that, that's kind of an important question <laughs> when you're trying to figure out what a prophecy means. So yeah, really good stuff today, looking at Habakkuk chapter 1, a little bit of chapter 2, the first five verses there. Uh, it'll be good to read through that. It looks like we're getting told by the studio that we're having a little bit of trouble getting a hold of our guest today. Lord willing, we will reach him. But let's go ahead then and get started with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you remind us of your goodness and your constant presence in this Advent season, that you are uh, truly Emmanuel, you are with us, that in some ways you are especially with us when things are dark and uncertain, because your promises show themselves to be all the more powerful than we ever realized help us to see as we read Habakkuk today your promises for your people that we may be a blessing to others as you have chosen us to do in the name of Jesus amen all right so um <laughs> looks like looks like a, there was a little snafu actually with the communication it happens it's all right um, we're going to go ahead and read through the chapter, and all this means, guys, is that there's lots of time then for your questions. i have already got a few that have come in on Facebook. We'll want to take a look at those. But just to remind you guys, if you are listening live, 1-800-730-2727, or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850, you can also send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. The Facebook link, facebook.com/slash a.j. Espinosa. Yeah, we got some questions on there, and I'll actually just go ahead and post those so everyone can see them. Uh, those'll those will be good though to take a look at. Uh, yeah, but so without any further ado, let's get this chapter read, and then we'll and then we'll uh, yeah try to figure out uh, what what is going on here. All right, so this is Habakkuk chapter one, with those first five verses of chapter 2. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You, who are purer of eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time, it hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it, it will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as sheol, like death he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. So uh, I think immediately what stands out to me with uh, Habakkuk, uh, Habakkuk is, I, I feel like, one of the boldest prophets when it comes to the way that he confronts God. Um, again, this is a little bit like uh, Jonah. Um, it feels a little bit like wisdom literature, especially when you go to the end of Habakkuk, you have something that looks like a, like a prayer like or some kind of liturgical setting. Uh, but so in, in the address, though, uh Where you have this kind of theodicy theme, you know, is God just? You know, is really God good, and all good, in fact. Um, But yeah, I mean, just, I mean, just the the question, right? He's like, hey, God, you're making us like fish, Uh, like like we have no purpose. Is is there any justice, any meaning in any of this? Are you just going to go on letting them kill forever? Well, the question is, who are we talking about? (laughs) All right. Uh, but that there there's my big question. Let's let's go to some other questions here. We got James on the line. Good morning, brother. How are you doing? Good to hear from you. What are you thinking today?
1: Well, I was actually trying to uh catch you before your guest Pastor came on because yeah. uh we haven't we haven't had an opportunity to uh because we've enjoyed what you've brought as moderator to the uh, Bible study or Die Strong Word. Each mm-hmm. moderator has its It's kind of strengths and nuances that helps our Bible study. And so um, you had started to read the chapter, but I hope this is not out of line. But we Mm. wanted to ask you about your thesis and uh, about what its intended purpose is and some of the research. Mm -hmm. You know, what's the intended purpose and research and discourse about if you can kind of. Yeah quickly say something about that, and uh, uh, what, what one of our uh, members uh, wanted to say to you was that uh, Pastor Baker's favorite book is Habukah. He always says oh. it like that. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, that's his favorite book, and, and we've gone over it with him on Law and Gospel, and we're going to dig up right. some of those questions and try to get them to you before the break. But we okay. were trying to get into you before, you know, to just kind
0: of—because yeah, yeah.
1: we really enjoy how you've uh, moderated the Bible study, yeah. and we're going to miss you, and we'd like to hear something about your, your, yeah. your dissertation and your, your research. So I'll hang up and listen.
0: Thank you, Brother James. It's, it's very kind. Um, it's, been, it's been a pleasure. Um, it, it will be good, though, to just a little bit more intensely um, and single-mindedly focus and just get this, get this uh, puppy wrapped up. As, uh, as my father likes to say. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, uh, talking about the, the dissertation here. So my, my PhD dissertation um, is more focused—well, I'll put it this way. I'm, I'm really working in the sandbox of the Greek language, um, so I'm, I'm not really uh, looking too closely at Hebrew, but I think a lot of the same ideas uh, very much and directly apply uh, to Hebrew— but i think that there's a a real shortage really of scholarship that looks at this stuff that i'm looking at for uh for greek and particularly for biblical greek um it's kind of astounding actually i think that there's so little uh work that's been done so what is it um it, it's looking at you know and, and this is something that i bring out uh or try to anyway and i don't per uh, i don't say that i'm doing it right all the time but when you read these sentences, right, it's a natural way of kind of—you emphasize certain words, you know, and and you, you kind of—your pitch goes down on other ones, right? And, and so depending on how you do that, there's like a contrast or there's like a comparison, right? Um, if you're following along on the Facebook stream, you see like I've got a version here that bolds some of the words, and it's trying to um, say like, hey, that that's a word that has been put up front in Hebrew, and so we think it's emphasized, right? So, uh, you know, for instance, in this one, it, it kind of catches the poetry in verse ten. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh, right? Um, and, and that, and then following up, they laugh at every fortress, right? So, when you when you when you read it like that, you're picking up on the nuances and saying, like, oh, okay, they're making a comparison. This is trying to say, you know, uh, they scoff at all powers, even at kings, right? Um, and at rulers, uh, they they have contempt. When you would think that you know, for rulers you would you would show some respect, right? So like there there's these uh, implications and all these like nuances, and so it's it's uh in the end it's important, especially when you're looking at the sayings of our Lord Jesus, because if you read it with a little bit of different emphasis, the whole sentence just feels totally different. Um, My my quick example, just because I was getting into this with my dissertation advisor, James Veltz, the other day, um, in the Beatitudes, uh, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Is it blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God? Or is it blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God? I think it's the latter, actually, which is what very few people have suggested, actually. Uh, you know, so when, when, you, when you say that, you're saying like, oh, wait, so the point is, right, uh, everyone's going to have, you know, some kind of encounter with God, be it good or bad, but these people will actually get to see him, which then connects it to the theology of John chapter one, of Moses, you know, like being able to like see God and, uh, you know, the whole question of uh, can you see God and live? I mean, all this stuff, right? All because we changed which words we kind of put the bold on. So... Uh, Yeah, so so that's what I'm working on, and uh, hopefully that wasn't too long-winded. But yeah, so hopefully you know the fruit of the project will be a a Bible uh, translation that you can actually pull up, and it'll tell you like how to read it, like how to which words are the ones you're supposed to stress, and like what kind of stress and stuff like that. Um, I could see it as being really immensely helpful, especially for stories. So we'll see. Uh, Yeah, so uh, we we looked at a little bit of that for uh, as, as, as you were saying. Uh, you know, Habakkuk. Um, Not very big introduction here, right? In in the Hebrew, uh, it's just as plain as it seems in the English translation. Uh, Yeah, yeah, the the, the name, though, Habakkuk. Yeah, uh, so it's (laughs) uh, challenging to say a lot of stuff at the back of your throat. Um, But yeah, not a lot of introduction, but he just gets right into this, right? Uh, and, And how long, I think, is kind of the phrase, right? How long shall I cry for help? Um, And then at the end of the chapter, uh, right there, uh, chapter 1, verse 17, um, is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? Right? So, uh, this is the thing. It, it, It seems like this bad guy is just going on and on and on and on. Is anyone ever going to stop the killing? Um, and you know, I, I was struck this morning, right before the, uh, right before uh, we we start the program, we have the KFuo News Update uh, from Kip Allen, and he was mentioning, um, you know, some of uh, Biden's picks that he's announcing, right, to to work in those cabinet positions, uh, and one of them being, you know, very staunchly uh, pro-abortion or uh, pro-choice, right, as uh, as they would describe themselves um and and yeah we in our own nation we feel that way i think right will they go on mercilessly killing forever so we can relate to this and i think in fact that uh yeah in in some ways at every stage of the game in the history of god's people you've always got this this feeling of it seems like the bad guys are getting away with it it seems like they're laughing all the way to the bank it seems like they're they, they got blood on their hands but they're not being judged What's going on, God? You said you're going to judge the wicked. Uh, okay, when? So a very, very bold question here, and I think it does actually have a lot in common uh, with Jonah, not just the, the boldness or the kind of uh, wisdom literature angle either. Um, okay, so l- let's, let's, just, let's just go ahead and just tackle this question uh, head on. So who is he talking about? And then uh, if we can get that, I think then we'll have a better chance at understanding one of the most quoted uh, Bible verses, right, uh, from the Old Testament is amazing, right? Right here, the righteous shall live by faith, Um, comes up in a big way in Paul. Uh, You've got it, you know, in in Romans, you've got it in Galatians, you got something that— you know doesn't sound unlike it in the Gospel of John. Um, you've got, uh, you got you got the same quote pretty much in Hebrews even, right? So it's a, it's a huge big idea, um, and it comes from this book that it feels like we kind of just don't even, uh, know what to do with. So, okay, let's go ahead then and uh and, and take a look at this. Uh, so the the next part I think, and this is the thing I believe that throws people off. Um, the ESV here says, "Woe to the Ch- uh, the Chaldeans!" All right? Chaldeans is a word um, that is typically interpreted as referring to the Babylonians, right? And and, and we're kind of used to this. That it seems like in the Old Testament, especially, there's a lot of different ways of referring to people, right? Kind of like we saw last time, actually, when we were uh, talking with Pastor Shank, looking at uh, Second Kings, right? You can refer to the north as Ephraim. You can refer to the north as, uh, well, for that matter, Joseph. You can refer to the north as uh, Israel, like the northern kingdom, right? You can refer to it as uh, Samaria, just refer to it by uh, the capital, right? So, I mean, there's so many different ways of, uh, of referring to these things. Uh, so, yeah, the Chaldeans, in, in some parts, um, particularly, I think, in Genesis, the word can refer to uh, sorcerers or certain kinds of, like, astrologers or something like this, court magicians. Uh, but yeah, in a lot of places later, it usually just basically means the Babylonians. Okay, so is this an art, is this a prophecy, is this a complaint about the Babylonians? Not so fast. All right, I'm just gonna go ahead and keep reading, because, you know, why not? Uh, so this is from verse 6 then, chapter 2. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what's not his own for how long and loads himself with pledges? Will not your debtors suddenly arise, and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them, because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the people shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You've devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You've forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You who pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of the shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Uh, so, so you see this like this prophecy of reversal, um, and, and it's, it's a lot of potent images here. You got uh, potent potables, right? Uh, right here, the the cup of wrath. Uh, uh, Professor Robbie's commentary in the uh, Yale Anchor series on uh, Obadiah really gets into that. It's fantastic, uh, if memory serves. I'm you know, my wires crossed. He, uh, it's definitely Professor Robbie though, who's written extensively on this cup of wrath idea. Um, you know the uh, the idea is is there's a, a metaphor of of drunkenness with anger, which I think we can see how that makes sense. Uh, but there's this reversal. Uh, it feels kind of magnificat like you know like all the the stuff that you've done is going to come back around on you. Um, we're going to see that in Esther in a big way. That reversal. Um, you, you have that, that that same kind of uh, theme very prominently in Revelation in the New Testament here uh okay so you know you got all this woe you know all this woe Uh, okay uh but interesting yeah the uh the heading says um it's for the chaldeans but you'll notice did we ever uh read the word chaldeans right uh no actually right so this this is interesting so how the esv say that all those woes were for the chaldeans well, what, what they're doing, right, is is they're going back into, into chapter 1, where it says—where was it here? Uh, where God answers Habakkuk's first complaint, and he says in verse 6, Behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. So the logic goes—and this is how a lot of people have taken it—Habakkuk um, is at first complaining about something, someone unclear— uh God says he's going to raise up the Chaldeans. Habakkuk says, "Whoa, well, hang on, but they're pretty nasty, terrible people too." Um, you know, and then, and then you get, you know, his, you know, his answer there at towards the end of chapter 1. And then God responds, "Well, it's okay, cuz I'll wipe up I'll wipe them out too. I will also deal with the Chaldeans." And that's what these woes are doing. I think there's a few problems with that interpretation. Um it, it, well, yeah, I mean, really, I mean, you know, it, it's not its not a terrible interpretation. I don't think you're going to come up with like heresy at the end of the day, if you take it. I just don't think it's right. Um, let, let's take a look at some of the details here. So first of all, who is he complaining about first? Well, see, I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't think that—if if you say it's the Chaldeans, is, you, you say that we're really talking about the Babylonians, right? Um, then— the logical thing to say would be that he's complaining about the Assyrians, right? That the Assyrians are the initial ones here at the beginning, right? The, the law is paralyzed, justice never goes forth, right? And th- th- that they're the bad guys. Um, and then God would say, okay, uh, well, the Assyrians are a problem. Well, I'll raise up the, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, and and they will deal with those nasty Assyrians. Okay. Okay, that that makes sense. But interesting, what what he says though, right? He says, "For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told." So uh, the point there is that hey, I'm going to tell you that I'm I'm going to raise up the Babylonians to defeat the Assyrians. But when I tell you that, you're going to think to yourself, (laughs) "What? The Babylonians are going to defeat the Assyrians?" See, and this is important. Uh, because the Babylonians, right uh, before the rise of what historians refer to as the Neo-Babylonian Empire—the the empire that ended up, you know, with Nebuchadnezzar and all this, right—that ended up uh, destroying Jerusalem, uh, Babylon did not look. I mean, as as a, as a people, like the Chaldeans—not the, Chaldeans, right, the place—did um, not look like they were going to be a world superpower that was going to do all of this. Uh, but what ends up happening? And so they end up making all these alliances, and, I mean, they are just—they know how to get things done, and they stage this revolt, basically, against the Assyrians. Um, And what ends up happening—and this ends up being a good chunk of Isaiah, then— is that the very people that they had an alliance with that helped them seize power, they end up turning on and enslaving and taking advantage of and all the rest. And so in that way, they end up being really hated, right? Um, So you can see— how some of those uh, these critiques here could really could really fit, uh, you know, maybe okay, okay, yeah, like that sounds like the the Chaldeans. Um, but does it follow that God's punishing the Chaldeans in chapter two? See, I, th- I think that's the disconnect that that we that we think He's turning on them. Then, all right, hold that thought. It's time for our break. Everybody, we're looking at Habakkuk on Thy Strong Word. We'll be right back. It's called the Stockdale Paradox, facing the brutal facts of reality while never losing faith in how the story ends. Dr. Michael Ziegler finds something like it in the Bible's book of Daniel. He calls it the Prophet's Paradox, and it could provide the word of encouragement you need in the midst of this chaotic year. This week on The
1: Lutheran Hour. Sundays at 1230 and 5 p.m. on Worldwide KFUO. Cross Defense is the show where we talk about curious topics to excite the imagination, equip the mind, and comfort the soul with God's Word. Join me, Pastor Tyrell Bramwell, every Monday at 2 p.m. Central on KFUO Radio, or anytime
0: on KFUO.org, or even your favorite podcast app. My friends, our foe is a fierce enemy. Our only defense is Christ on the cross. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Habakkuk, particularly chapter 1, but as uh, we went ahead and read a little bit more into chapter 2 here, a uh, short little book, and yeah, who are we talking about? We just started talking a little bit about the Assyrians and the Babylonians. Um, I'm not sure if a uh, word order is going to uh, come to the rescue. Uh, we were talking a little bit about my dissertation emphasis with James earlier. Uh, thanks again for your kind words, brother um but yeah I mean, we'll see i mean there's there's a couple things i want to i want to bring out here I, I do think that a lot of people are not they're they're kind of jumping making a there's a disconnect here i think if you've got a question or a comment uh maybe just if you know uh, share an interpretation that you've heard uh, these are all fair game 1-800-730-2727 or if you're in st louis 314-821-0850 you can also send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org Hop on the live stream, facebook.com slash Espinosa. Just posted the questions I got earlier before uh, the program. Uh, they were just uh, sent to me directly. So uh, here's the first question. You talked about ending the Assyrian story arc. Was Habakkuk written before the Babylonians, Chaldeans, defeated the Assyrians, or after? Okay, yeah, and that's kind of exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, good question. Uh, next question. Uh, why does God raise up an evil people to do his work? Uh and then, why does he talk about how he will topple them in the next chapter? Okay, yeah, there's the thing. I don't think he is. Uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah, those questions are, are, are spot on. That's exactly what we're getting at. Uh, before we get more into that, I want to make sure that we thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, lhfmissions.org. Thank you guys for your support of thy strong word. All right, so uh, where were we? Uh, okay. So it, it seems like okay, we have a, a decent line of thought going. That first we've got the Syrians as a problem, then the Babylonians seem to be the answer that God's going to raise up these these Chaldeans. Okay, uh, so the comparison I wanted to make really quick it says that you know you wouldn't believe it if uh, if I told you, right? Um, th- so the same thing happens in um, in Isaiah, right? That the uh, if if you guys remember when we we're looking at Isaiah and the same thing happens um, in First and Second Kings and Chronicles, um, that that Hezekiah is uh, dealing with this Assyrian invasion. Uh, they're, they're going through all over Judah, destroying the countryside. Um, that's where we get the imagery, um, or some some of the imagery anyway, in, in Isaiah of just you know uh, things being overrun, uh, the cities being reduced to a wilderness, right? Um and so anyway, he's he's holed up in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is just trying to like eke out this final last stand. Um and God miraculously uh causes some disarray in the Assyrian ranks. They gotta go back home. Jerusalem stands. Um also probably helps me you know from history that Hezekiah did end up um offering a rather large lump sum tribute catch-up payment. And so the Assyrians were like, Okay, okay, we got something. We can you know, we can go home with pride. Like I mean, again, we've talked about saving face in ancient culture, so he lets them save face, right? They're able to go home and call it a victory, and Hezekiah is able to call it a victory. Everyone, everyone wins, right? Win win. So, um, what's interesting though is in, in the following chapter, Isaiah critiques Hezekiah uh, be- because following that, Hezekiah reaches out to to Babylon. Babylon, the king of Babylon, comes and takes a look at uh, or, or you know, the the Chaldeans. I should be more accurate uh come and, and he shows them around jerusalem and, he, and then isaiah says oh oh okay so you're thinking about like making an alliance with the chaldeans you know all that stuff you just showed them well they're going to take it one day hezekiah very very ominous words and at the time you know isaiah is kind of couching it like you know you wouldn't think that you think that you're just talking to another little guy like you like you know like judah but they're not going to be a little guy for forever Okay, so there's there's this common like theme of like you're not going to see this coming. Um, also, uh, what else did say in verse eight? Their horses are swifter than leopards. Uh, this is also pretty interesting because when you look at the book of Daniel, right, you have those four different beasts. Well, like what's the beast, right, uh, that you get named in connection with Babylon, right, with Nebuchadnezzar? Uh, well, uh, if you if you look at uh, it, it's this it's this really interesting description. It's this. Uh, It's this, like, winged leopard. It's this leopard with eagle's wings, and then at some point it's uh, made to have the wings, like, plucked, and it comes, and it stands up like a man, right? So, I mean, very clearly referring to Nebuchadnezzar, how he went through his period of, like, kind of going crazy, acting like an animal, then he kind of gets back in his right mind. Um, Also, perhaps referring to the, um, in a certain sense, how the Babylonians kind of went from just bloodthirsty, crazy, you know, betraying their own allies stuff to uh I mean later you know became a center of learning uh mathematics astronomy things like this so uh th- there's a lot of things there but yeah but using the leopards the the swift leopard uh language here right their horse are certain leopards that also is a way that uh you know Daniel talks about the Babylonians and then later they fly like an eagle swift to devour again you know eagle so uh, two of the animals that that Daniel uses uh in connection with the Chaldeans the Babylonians So, uh, yeah, so there's a a lot of things there that, yeah, it it makes sense that we're talking about the Babylonians, but uh, is he still talking about the Babylonians when God answers in chapter 2? See, that's—this is the question here. Uh, Let me see here. We just got some questions from James here. So is the king's uh, posture—wait a second here. These look like questions from yesterday. So I don't know, Kip, if you could— just take a look at that really quick. Make sure there's not like a double email or something. Um, okay, so, so there's the question. So uh, God says, hey, look, the Babylonians, I'm going to raise them up. You won't believe it, right? But it's going to happen. Um, and then so what, what, does, what does Habakkuk say? Well, see, I think Habakkuk's complaint here is saying, okay, let's well, take a look at this here in verse 11 and in verse 12. Um, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die i think um there, there's some really good textual stuff but that's a long tradition of reading that is uh, you shall not die right like you are immortal basically um which is actually just making his complaint more pointed like god you're immortal but we die all the time and so would you please do something about this you don't you know it's like it's like you're immortal so you don't you don't feel this as keenly as we do but this is a problem um it says oh lord you have ordained them as a judgment and you, O Rock, have established them for a reproof, right? And then, so verse 13, Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? See, the, the thought is that he's talking about the Babylonians. Like, hey, why would you raise them up, God, and use them when they are, are traitors and they're, and they're bad guys? I don't, I don't think that's what he's saying. He's saying, uh, God, okay, you've established them as a reproof. You're going to use the Chaldeans, or you're going to raise them up, stir them up, you said, When? (laughs) I I think actually Habakkuk is saying, okay, God, that's great. That's great talk. Show some action, right? Action speak louder than words, God. Yeah, you say you're going to stir up the Babylonians. I don't see any Babylonians. So Habakkuk is actually saying, God, will you please do something now about the Assyrians and not just sometime in the distant hypothetical future? Now, that that changes the the reading quite a bit. So then everything Habakkuk is complaining about in chapter 1 is not actually uh, the Babylonians as such, but the Assyrians still, which means that Habakkuk is consistently complaining about the Assyrians, which aligns him with Jonah, right, who's sent to go and uh, and, and to prophesy to Nineveh—that's the the Assyrian uh, capital—prophesy to the Assyrians, but Jonah's like, God, no, you should destroy them now while you have the chance. See, like, there's—both there, of them, actually, these short little four-chapter prophets, right, are both just saying, hey, God, you should be destroying the Assyrians now and not just sometime when you get around to it or you give them a chance to repent, right? So you actually see them lining up really nicely. Um, so, so take a look at this here, where where God then says, "Look, look, look what he says, right? Um, write the vision, make it plain on tablets. This is chapter 2, right? We read this. So he may run who reads it, for still the vision awaits its appointed time, right? Uh, this is actually maybe where word order does help. Um, the word still there is actually the first word of, the, of this clause. Uh, for still, right? Emphasizing, uh, well, kind of coming as an answer. Like, no, 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 uh, Jonah, <laughs> Habakkuk, both of them really, right? It's still coming. It's still going to happen, right? So he's answering the impatience. The vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it, right? So before uh, this became like the, the big phrase of how I met your mother, right, the, the TV program, uh, you know, God said it first. <laughs> um, so if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. So his, his answer is saying, hey, look, it, it seems like I'm taking my sweet time raising up the Babylonians to deal with your Assyrian problem, if it seems slow, wait for it. It's going to happen. And then this changes the way you read verse 4. Right? Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. All right? So there there's actually an answer here too. He's saying Habakkuk, yeah, I know this is bad, right? They these Assyrians, they go on perverting justice. Right, justice is paralyzed. Like you said in chapter one, uh, they're they're killing righteous people left and right. But you know what? The righteous shall live. So in other words, they will survive. Habakkuk, they're not going to be wiped out. I'm not going to let it happen. See, now that just changes things, right? Like Habakkuk, you're you're telling me that you you think that I'm going so slow with my salvation that by the time the Babylonians show up, there won't be any righteous left to be rescued. No, the righteous will survive. They are going to make it. They will survive the Assyrians, Habakkuk. Stop complaining. Uh, so th- that's, this, is, this is pretty interesting. Uh, dig into the language a little bit more. Okay, what does it say uh, in verse 4, more, more particularly here? This is, this is, this is neat. Uh, so, so one thing here uh, to, to note is that it's uh, the singular form Right, so it's it, it, and this is what some people have brought out as a, as a messianic prophecy. Then, um, which which is interesting in Paul, right? You know, the righteous one shall live by his faith. Okay, uh, we'll we'll get there in a second. Uh, but then also consider the word faith. It says in Hebrew, ba um, emuna. So it's benumato, uh, right? So cause it's plural, uh, which is not actually like faith, like belief or like creed. Or something, but this is actually the form for faithfulness or honesty, keeping faith, by faith-keeping. The righteous shall live by, I mean, you could say uprightness, honesty, um, truthfulness. Truthfulness could be a good way of putting it. Um, it's an interesting uh, form of the word. So w- w- when you take all of that, um, this gets really interesting then when you look at how Paul quotes it later and then you try applying this to the Lord Jesus, right? Because if you want to say, like, oh, well, uh, the righteous individual, right, uh, will live because of faith, right? Like, because they believe in Jesus, that's what makes a person really righteous, and then that righteous person will, will live. Well, that is a little bit distant from actually what Habakkuk uh, is in the first place getting at here, you know, because A, we're talking about actually faithfulness or, or uh, truthfulness. And then B, um, it, it's the righteous surviving, right? Like, no, the righteous will survive the Assyrians, Habakkuk. Like they will not all be wiped out. Which is to say that this is actually a, a singular generic, to say it's not that this is a promise for each and every single righteous person, because clearly, guys, I mean, right? What, when God speaks these words to Habakkuk, a lot more righteous people were going to die. I mean, let's, let's just be honest. Um, I mean, whether that was in the situation with the Assyrians or with the Babylonians, a lot of righteous people were going to die. Uh, the point here is like the righteous and kind of this uh, kind of generic or, or collective generic, really, um, like righteous people are still going to be around. Righteous people will still survive. There will still be this righteousness. So that's to say, it's really a lot like um, Isaiah also, where Isaiah talks about there being a stump of Jesse, (laughs) that there is going to be some remnant. There's going to be something left that you can have shoots sprout from. Like It's not all going to be gone. Now, see, if we interpret it that way— then it actually ends up uh, turning messianic, I think, in kind of a different way. So instead of like it talking about um, like righteous individuals today having life or uh, prosperity or something because of faith in Jesus, right? Um, it's more like there is going to be this faithful remnant that will survive and will sprout a shoot. And that is Jesus. And and it's going to happen because of uh faithfulness, because of of truthfulness, right? Like there there is going to be this this faithful uh truthful germ that is not going to get wiped out, not by the Assyrians, not later by the Babylonians when they do um actually come for Jerusalem. Uh not by not by the Medes, not by the Persians, not by the Macedonians, not by the Seleucids, not by the Romans, right? There is going to be this seed that survives. So when the Lord Jesus comes onto the scene, this is the fulfillment. Hey, look, look at there. We see him. Indeed, righteous Judah has survived, because look, there he is, right? This is uh, some uh, theologians talk about this as uh, Israel reduced to one, right? Like, there, there is a remnant, you know, we know it, it wasn't, you know, just him. There were obviously many people who followed our Lord, many people who answered John the Baptist's cry uh, for repentance, right? But there, there's going to be something that survives the Assyrians, um, and when you see Jesus come onto the scene, it shows righteousness surviving the Assyrians in spades, because not only is it like, oh, well, there's some righteousness left, right? Though it was really corrupted and perverted and polluted, and we're, we're never going to be as righteous as, you know... Uh, Josiah or Hezekiah was? No. The most righteous one we've ever seen, actually, right? So righteousness not just survives, but thrives. And and of course, you see the same thing as a a big theme um, in in the church, right? That the church gets persecuted, right? The uh, the first, uh, you know, one of the first seven deacons, Stephen, right? Stoned to death right there in Jerusalem, right? Uh, You know, Jesus himself um, is killed. Uh, the, the church, uh, 40 years after all those events, right, you know, the church is concentrated in Jerusalem. Most of Christianity, as you would call it, is there in Jerusalem. Jerusalem's wiped out. Again, <laughs> um, you know, so after the Babylonians, right? So it's like, hang on, are the righteous going to survive? Well, yes, we will survive. <laughs> we have survived, not only survived, but thrived. That God uses all of these these things um, and not only do his people hang on, not only does the church hang on, not only does the truth hang on, but it go it goes bigger, it grows. So I, I encourage you to look at this, uh, not so focused on the individual and the individual belief, but looking more at God's people as a as a whole. That this is a promise. That guys, yeah, uh, some of us are going to be persecuted, some of us are going to be put in jail, some of us are going to be killed, right? But you know what, guys? This church that we are a part of, this body of Christ, we will survive just as the Lord Jesus, right? Not only survived, but then this is, this is the amazing thing, right? Because it does say in, in uh, Hebrew, it is literally shall live. So the other way of taking this, right, is uh, not just that he shall uh, survive the Assyrians, but even if the Assyrians kill him, he'll come back to life right because that's the other way that you can uh live after something mortal uh a mortal wound right it's like you barely escape by the skin of your teeth right or it kills you but you're resurrected so uh so yeah i would actually i see it in in resurrection terms ultimately being fulfilled um that that the the righteousness um seen in Jesus Christ you know on behalf of the whole people of god uh, yeah it goes on and and Jesus Christ yeah he he lives because of that faithfulness um you know and, th- and this gets to a theme that 's uh uh i mean it 's an interesting theme that you that you see uh you see it in Hebrews that God answered the lord jesus 's prayers uh because of his faithfulness right Be- because the Lord Jesus is faithful, uh God did not let his holy one see decay. So, uh, yeah, 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 good stuff. So, see, so seeing this really, I, I mean, I think, I think in the end, if you if you look at it this way, it gets uh, more Christ focused. So we're, so, we're talking about how Jesus makes sure that the people of God survive despite all this stuff. All right, that is good. Let, let's let, let's look at some of the questions in a little bit more detail here, right? So, uh, so to the question then of timeline chronology, right? Well, I I, I think that it's hard to say when things are written down, right, because it's like there's a question of when was this composed orally? When was it finally put down on paper, so to speak, right? Not that there was paper. It was either like vellum or papyrus, right? So those are kind of difficult questions, but um, just by the text, you can ask the question, uh, what time is depicted in this conversation. And clearly this is depicting a conversation happening before the Babylonians come, <laughs> right? Because if God's going to say, Hey, I'm going to start the Babylonians and Habakkuk's like, uh, when God, and then God says, eh, don't worry, wait for it. It's coming. Right. So before they show up, uh, I, I think is, is how you have to take how this, uh, is going though. There's an argument to be made. If you, if you scroll down with me to Habakkuk, so you got Habakkuk three then, um, and, and it's, it's very interesting here, like Habakkuk chapter— did I say there are four chapters and three chapters? Um, Habakkuk 3 is like a—well, uh, I mean, actually, it's it's a helpful he- heading here, uh, Habakkuk's prayer, right? It, it feels rather different. You, you could take a look at, Habakkuk, at uh, Habakkuk 3, rather, and say this is maybe then a mature reflection, right? Uh, you know, taking a prayer of Habakkuk and kind of like praying it back then— saying, hey, look, God was right. The Babylonians did come, right? The Babylonians did, after all, take care of the Assyrians, like God said they would. Um, I mean, so we, we could—I mean, we don't have time to, like, discuss all of uh, Habakkuk 3, but—so in, so in that sense, too, like, there could be—this could represent multiple stages of stuff that came from Habakkuk, right? Like stuff where he complained early on and then later— when, uh, when he or, you know, perhaps even just when his prayer was kind of just appropriated by people later, right, looking back on it and saying, hey guys, Habakkuk was right, you know, and his prayer that he prayed, you know, it's, it's pretty fitting for this occasion uh, when we look back on this, right? So uh, yeah, that makes it hard to say in terms of like when it was writing, but I think you can safely talk about that the complaint and the responses are before the Babylonian show up. Um, let's see there's one other thing I want to bring up though too um you know, so kind of getting into this like whole uh thing about okay uh like who who is he who is he talking about um so someone someone might say, well, no, 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 hang on a second, that makes sense if you're just looking at Habakkuk, but uh what happens when you look at some of the other prophets that look very very similar doesn't seem like they're talking about um God raising up the Babylonians. Against the Assyrians, no. It seems like they're actually going to be attacking the Babylonians. Uh, so let let me let me do a search here. I've got I've got this in in a note here. Um, yeah, b- because uh, let me see here. It's um, it it's in you you see some really interesting parallels, um, with with some of the other prophets. So we already talked about it like in Isaiah here. Uh, let me see here. Um, ah. I'm not sure where that note went to. I'm sure I'll find it. Like as soon as we're done today. There is another prophet that that basically uh, it's probably it's probably <laughs> Isaiah it too. Um, that in in connection to all this. Says something very similar to Habakkuk chapter two. In fact, maybe we should look at the the footnotes. There, there might be uh, something here uh, in there. There might be something in Isaiah here that that goes on saying like a lot like this here. Um, where you, where you look at the at the other prophets and they and they prophesy something that sounds almost exactly like Habakkuk, but they actually specifically mention. Babylon. Right? Or uh yeah, I think I think actually you mentioned Babylon as like a place name, right? Um let's see, it's not it's not uh Isaiah chapter thirty, though interesting, there's a there's a parallel here, and it says the Assyrians will be terror stricken. So that I think does actually kind of support uh that thesis there. Let's let's check uh Isaiah eight here. Um I don't think it's Isaiah eight. I think that's too early on. Um yeah, no. Isaiah eight is, is really early on. This is talking about when when Assyria is still going to come and uh, wipe everything out. So that's uh, I, I only actually entirely know about putting the footnote there. Um, yeah, I'm not I'm not I'm not going to find it, guys. Well, I'll I'll, I'll, put, I'll post the link on Facebook afterwards. Uh, but there's a there's a place in I I think it's Isaiah uh, where where it's like, hey, they're going to take Babylon right, when I stir up these guys. And so people would put that as evidence and say, hey, look, look at the parallel, right? Clearly, when God is talking about this in chapter two, he's not talking about judging the Assyrians. He's talking about judging the Babylonians, because look, it says in the other prophet, attack Babylon. Stop, pause. Who was in control of Babylon before the Babylonians? Yeah, we we don't think about this, but, um, you know, Babel, right, you know, very ancient city, right? Think of the Tower of Babel in Genesis, a little bit before the Babylonians as we think of them, right? Uh, So before the Chaldeans became, like, this superpower, who was in control of Babylon? The Assyrians. Yeah, that's right. So actually, it makes sense to talk about the other prophets saying, I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans, and they're going to take Babylon from Assyria, and they're going to make it their capital, I mean, actually, I think it, the the pieces fit even uh, better that way. Okay, but 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 so look look at the big question though, right? Um, why does God raise up evil people to do His work? Why does He seem to take so long to answer? Right? God doesn't actually say here, you know. He says it'll happen. If it seems slow, wait. You know, but but so why why does He do this? I, I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, there there isn't like a uh, a ready made answer because I think really that question is the question that Job was answering, right? Which is like, hey, who are we to be asking that, right? Or rather, who are we to be uh, judging God by some kind of external uh, source or standard of righteousness as if there is a standard more righteous than God himself? That doesn't really make much sense. So so it is It is actually, you know, on, on a fundamental level, kind of, uh, and not even really of reflecting clear thinking to, like, challenge God on righteousness, right? But I, I will say, just in terms of looking at the story, there's, there's a lot of mercy involved, right? I mean, think about this. Like, God, you know, again, in, in, uh, in Jonah, by, by waiting to judge the Assyrians, he gives a generation of Assyrians a chance to repent, right? Uh, by, by using, uh, you know, the, the Persians, right, later, by, by using the, the, the Greeks, by using the Romans, God gives all these other people chances to repent. I, I mean, like, because he could, yeah, just, you know, send down the legion of angels and wipe everything out, right? I mean, isn't that what Satan says, right? Why doesn't God just, you know, send the angels now, Jesus, uh, the thief on the cross, like, not the good one, the other one, you know, like, let God rescue you, and us too. Well, why doesn't God do that? Well, because if he did all that, and he just sent all the angels in right now, Would there have been mercy for others? Would there have been mercy for us? Right? So indeed, maybe there is something unjust about God waiting so long and taking his time, but it's not unjust because uh, it's uh, not merciful enough, but because it's too merciful for us who receive the opportunity to repent because God waits, because he's long-suffering. And yeah, uh, we we suffer, uh, but... We will survive in Jesus Christ. The Church goes on. His truth goes on. His Word is strong. All right, we got we got a pre-recorded Psalm for you guys tomorrow, and then we're moving on to another Even chapter to of a new book. Until word. next Produced week, then the everybody. I'm Pastor AJ Espinosa. Peace.
1: mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMs. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting By Strong Word.